Last week, John McCosby was kind enough to share with you about John 15 and how we abide in Christ like branches on a vine. That picture in the first half of John 15 is a beautiful picture of the fruitful life that we have when we are connected to Christ by resting on His promises and joyfully obeying His Word. It is this picture of fruitful life. It's a great picture. But being connected to Jesus brings some negative side effects as well. Life is certainly better on the vine, but it does not mean that life is always easier. That's because we will face opposition and even hatred for following Jesus. And that's what our passage tells us today as we continue in John chapter 15. So I'd encourage you to open your Bibles or you can find this text in the bulletin. We're going to start in John chapter 15, verse 18, and we're going to go through John chapter 16, verse 15. So the second half of chapter 15 and the first half of chapter 16. As a reminder, these words are spoken by Jesus on the night before he was arrested. So it's that evening. They will leave the upper room. Eventually he will be arrested and then put on trial during the night to be crucified that next morning. So this is kind of in the context of the Last Supper. And essentially what we have here in this passage is all the words of Jesus that he's speaking straight through. None of the disciples interrupt to go, hey, but what about all of it? Even though it doesn't say Jesus said in there, that's because he's been talking a long time. So we are hearing Jesus speak these words to his closest followers the night before he died. Let's hear the word of God beginning in John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. 
I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your word. For sending your written word and sending your living incarnate word, Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending your spirit to inspire the word and to fill Jesus Christ and now to dwell among us that we might know your word and believe it. So, Lord, we pray today that you would move through your word. Spirit, use me in spite of my sins, in spite of my weakness and failings to faithfully proclaim your word, to apply it and to speak it clearly that we might know it. And Spirit, I pray that you might move and that you would open ears to hear that the word would not fall on deaf ears, but it would be received and received with joy. Change our hearts and minds that we would believe your word and receive what you speak, O God, as bread from heaven. God, we pray that you would work by your spirit and your word in us to grow us in faith and particularly to prepare us for the opposition we will face from this world. God, we ask these things in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So in our passage today, we hear that the world is going to hate us for following Jesus. And so even though following Jesus necessarily means the world will oppose us. Jesus is here to help us. And he helps us bear witness by sending us the Spirit to be a powerful indwelling presence for us. And so today, we are going to look at this idea of the world's hatred, or as I'm going to call it, opposition. 
We could call it opposition, hatred, persecution. I feel like opposition helps us cover it more broadly. Hatred and persecution we tend to see as very cruel. But the world's opposition is not always proactively cruel. It can simply be stumbling blocks in our way to faithfulness. And so I'm going to be using that word opposition today. Just like in athletics, if you are on offense, on football, the defense is opposing you, standing in the way of your goal. And the world opposes us. And so today we are going to look at the reality of this opposition from the world, the fact that it exists the reason for this opposition of the world, the recipients of this opposition, and finally, the reward for those who face such opposition. So first, I want us to think about the reality of worldly opposition. Jesus is preparing us. He is preparing us to let us know this is going to happen. That's what he says in verses 18 through 19. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now we can make a mistake in reading these verses and see that wonderful little word, if. And be like, oh, good, okay. He says if, like maybe the world's not going to hate me. But you get to the end of verse 19, and he's like, no, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That if is a very hypothetical if. He's being polite. He is not saying that the world might like you for following me. It's no, the world will hate you. And so he is preparing us for the reality of worldly opposition. Now, this comparison may make us uncomfortable, but it's perhaps the closest comparison in our culture. Consider how in history and even today that black parents have to prepare their black children to, ex- to experience and expect prejudice and hostility. They prepare them so they are not caught off guard when it happens. They do this lovingly. To prepare their children to face the reality that such opposition exists. Similarly, Jesus is sitting his children, his disciples down and saying, people will hate you. Not because of how you look, but because you are connected to me. And you are following me. That's what he tells them in verse 21. All of this will happen on account of my name. So if the world hates you for being a Christian, blame Jesus. He says he's the reason. You can blame Jesus for this. It is his fault in a sense. He chose us out of the world to follow him. He makes us different by his saving grace. And the world does not like us being different. That's what D.A. Carson in his commentary on John writes. I put it in your bulletin for you. He writes, former rebels who have by the grace of the king been won back to loving allegiance to their rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in rebellion. The world 
hated Jesus. They hated his claim as king. And so they're going to hate those who claim him as king as well. Jesus says in verse 4 that he didn't tell his disciples these things earlier because I was with you. He's essentially saying that when I walked the earth, all of the world's opposition and hatred was pointed right at me. You didn't have to worry about it. You were in the background. But now that I have ascended into heaven, the target for the world's opposition is you. I'm not here. You will face this opposition. And so we need to accept the reality of worldly opposition. More than most other generations in history, we need to accept that the world will hate us. Now, we should strive to live at peace with everyone. Absolutely, the Bible says that. But many will still hate us for following Jesus. We should love our neighbors and our enemies, but don't expect that they will all love you in return. Sadly, because we are not used to the world's opposition in the history of our nation, many of us bristle at the slightest worldly opposition. We are offended that people would oppose Christianity. Stop acting so surprised. They hated Jesus. What makes you think they won't hate you as well? If Jesus himself could not produce universal 100% approval, what makes us think the American church can? And especially an American church that doesn't compromise the truth. And so we must accept the reality of worldly opposition because Jesus himself tells us to. That the world will oppose us because of our connection to Jesus. But for what reason does the world so hate Jesus? Why is there such opposition? What's the second thing I want us to see in our passage? The reason for worldly opposition. What is the reason for this hatred? Well, Jesus tells us it is because he convicts the world of sin by his truth. And we see this convicting ministry of Jesus in two places in our passage, in verses 22 through 25, and then again in verses 8 through 11. So first, in verses 22 through 25, Jesus points us to his own example when he was in the world. Think back to John chapter 1. He said, Jesus came as a light in a dark world, but the world rejected the light. His very presence in the world inspired opposition from sinful men and women. And that's what we see in these verses where Jesus twice says something like this, that if I had not come, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who lived before Jesus somehow got like a free pass on sin, that they weren't guilty. You read the Old Testament like, oh, there's, there's a whole lot of guilty people of sin right there. That's not what he means. Rather, he's saying that when he came and lived among the world, he lived as this pinnacle of righteousness and goodness. The only sinless man to ever live, perfectly reflecting God in his word and in his works. And so when the world rejected him, 
It was the clearest sign that the world hates God and that the world is guilty of sin. It makes me think of the scene in Cinderella where Cinderella gets ready to go to the ball in her dress and she comes downstairs and her stepmother and her stepsisters see her undeniable beauty and then revealing their own true hatred and envy, they tear her dress apart. In the same way, the self-righteous religious leaders and the sin-loving crowds opposed Jesus and tore Him apart. Because he exposed their sin by his perfect righteousness. And so Jesus quotes in our passage, Psalm 69, they hated me without a cause. All I ever did was what was right. They hated me because it reflected badly on them. And that showed their sin shining through. He convicted them of their sin by his mere presence. So that's one way we see this convicting ministry of Jesus was when he lived on earth, convicting them of their sin. But it is something Jesus continues to do by the Holy Spirit. That's what we see in verses 8 through 11. That the Holy Spirit will come, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That through the Spirit, Jesus continues to convict the world of His truth. Knowing that those whom the Father has given to Him, they will be convicted by the Spirit to repent and believe. But for those who do not believe, they will be convicted in the sense that they will be judged by Christ on the basis of His truth. And so His convicting ministry is twofold in a sense. He convicts those whom He has chosen of their sins so that we believe, but He convicts also in the sense of revealing the condemnation of those who do not believe. And Jesus describes this conviction in three areas, sin, righteousness, and judgment. He says concerning sin, the Spirit will convict people because they do not believe in Jesus. The Spirit will testify how sin is a fundamental expression of rebellion and unbelief in God. And so the Spirit will work to convict hearts to believe in Jesus so that we who believe see our sin, we repent of it, and we turn to Jesus believing that He is the only one that can save us from our sins. But apart from belief in Jesus, others will be convicted of their sin suffering the just punishment for their unbelief. And so he convicts concerning sin. And then concerning righteousness, the Spirit bears witness to Christ's ascension to the Father in heaven, that Jesus is the only truly righteous person to ever live. That even though he died, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he could do so because he was truly holy. That Jesus could enter the presence of a holy God. And so the Spirit convicts people of their self-righteousness, testifying that the righteousness we need to approach God is only what we can receive as a gift from Jesus. And the Spirit also testifies that all who try to approach God with their own faulty righteousness will be convicted of trespassing on holy ground and never able to enter with Jesus into glory. And so he convicts concerning sin, righteousness, and also judgment. 
Concerning judgment, we are told the Spirit bears witness to the fact that Satan, the ruler of this world, has been judged. Satan has some victories on his record. Satan may have succeeded in tempting Adam and Eve into sin. He may have succeeded in spoiling God's image bearers. He may have tricked Adam and Eve into falling under God's holy judgment. But the Spirit testifies that it is now Satan who has been judged. For the perfect image of God came and lived without sin and resisted temptation in every way. And in His resurrection, He vanquished Satan's greatest weapons, sin and death. And the Spirit testifies that those who believe in Jesus have victory over the evil one. But those who do not trust in Christ will be judged alongside Satan. These truths that Christ convicts the world with are precious to God's people and hated by the world still under Satan's sway. Jesus' words and works testify to these truths. And now that He is in heaven, the Spirit continues to testify to these truths. The world hates truth like darkness hates the light. But the Spirit continues to bear witness and convict, for Christ has promised that the Spirit will do that. But we read through this and we ask, how? How does the Spirit continue Christ's witness in the world? Well, the answer is that the Holy Spirit bears witness through God's people. In other words, we are how the Spirit testifies God's truth to the world. And that means we will be recipients of worldly opposition. Look at the connection that's made in verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, When the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. The Spirit of truth is given to Jesus' disciples so that we can be Spirit-filled witnesses to God's truth. Now, we need to note for a minute that this promise was uniquely given to those first disciples. Because Christ says, because you have been with me from the beginning. These original disciples would receive the Spirit in a special way so that they would know God's truth, that they would remember God's truth and faithfully communicate it through their speech and through their writing. And for us as believers, looking at these promises all these years later, the witness that we bear is we proclaim their truth. We proclaim what they bore witness to. We do not ask, Spirit, give me something new to say. No, no, no. We ask for the Spirit to lead us into all this truth so that we can bear witness to the world. And for our witness, we are told that the world will hate us just as they hated Jesus, that we will be recipients of this opposition. And because we don't like that, we will be tempted to avoid worldly opposition by remaining silent and by fitting in. 
One commentator writes, the world does not hate a false Christianity that differs little from itself. The world will tolerate a Christian who remains silent and fits in. Jesus knows that's our temptation. That our temptation is to avoid worldly opposition by blending in with the world. To be of the world. Which is why He tells us, no, I have chosen you out of the world. And He's telling them in verse 1, I've said all these things to you because I don't want you to fall away. That Jesus' desire for you as you follow Him is not that you would avoid worldly opposition. It is not that you would have comfortable lives following Him. His greatest desire is that you would remain true to Him even when facing opposition. And if we live in that way as followers of Jesus, we will be recipients of worldly opposition. The world will oppose us when we testify about the sins that it celebrates. As we have seen so clearly in regard to sexuality and marriage. The world will oppose us when we testify about its fraudulent righteousness. Like the self-righteous pride any of us can feel by being better than those people over there. The world will oppose us when we testify about the judgment to come for people do not want to be held accountable for their actions. And so we, as followers of Jesus, testify to the present and eternal reign of our Lord Jesus Christ who is coming to judge the living and the dead. And we testify that we are living evidence that He is a merciful King who redeems rebels and gladly blesses us with His grace. That's our testimony. And the world doesn't like it. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we facing opposition from the world? Is it happening to us as individuals, as a family unit, as a church family, Because if we are not facing some kind of opposition from the world, it is possible that we are not living as Spirit-filled witnesses to the truth. It is possible that we are not following Jesus with our words and actions if there is absolutely no opposition from the world. It is possible that out of fear of being hated that we have compromised our obedience to Jesus. Now you can be hated by the world for all kinds of bad reasons that Jesus tells us don't get hated for that. He doesn't say go around and be a jerk and get hated by the world. No, he is not endorsing being a jerk. He is not saying I want you to be hated for proclaiming a warped version of my truth. No, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying he chose us out of the world when he saved us. And he tells us that because we have been chosen out of the world to live differently, the world will hate us. Is it? We're not looking to pick a fight. But do we feel 
the defense pushing against us. As we are moving towards the goal line, is there any resistance whatsoever in our lives to following Jesus? If not, then how are we falling short of following Jesus? That's why Jesus has told us that He gives us the Holy Spirit. He knows this is hard. No, Everyone wants to go and practice football plays without a defense that's going to hit you in the mouth. I get that. I don't want to get tackled. But the Spirit is with us to strengthen us for the opposition that we face. To help us be witnesses to the glorious truth of the Gospel. It's our calling as believers to go and be Spirit-filled witnesses even if we are opposed in that task. And Jesus tells us, not just that it's going to be hard, but He does promise us a reward for being witnesses in the face of worldly opposition. And initially, the reward eh, doesn't seem great. As He says in verse 2, The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Not, I don't think, the reward we were looking for. That verse is true in so many ways of believers throughout history. It was true of some of the first believers, like Stephen, who was killed by the Jews. And the Jews thought they were serving God by killing him for believing in Jesus. That's what Jesus is speaking about. It was also true of other disciples like Peter, who was killed by the Romans, who thought their godlike Caesar would be honored by stamping out these Christians who would not worship the emperor as God. It was true of some early reformers like Jan Hus before Martin Luther, who was burned at the stake by the Roman Catholic Church, a church who had usurped God's rightful authority over his church. It is true of believers even today in Muslim countries who are killed in service to the God of Islam, Allah. And perhaps a day is not far off in the West when believers will be intensely persecuted and even killed in service of the gods of tolerance and progress. So there is a great reward here of suffering death for Jesus. But don't worry, Jesus says the reward is better. He tells us in verse 14, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now this certainly means the Spirit will declare the truth of Jesus to us, but it also means the Spirit takes the glory that is Christ's and makes us partakers in it that we partake in the story of Jesus' suffering and glory. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the verses immediately before we are called to be salt and light to the earth, here is what Jesus says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. 
For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For those of us whom Jesus has chosen out of the world to be His people, we will be hated by the world. We will suffer opposition and very likely increasing persecution. Do not be afraid. So did Jesus. And by making us His, He assures us that our path through that suffering will lead to glory. And so no matter what we face, no matter the defense, the opposition against us, let us testify to the world the truth of the gospel, knowing that out there, Jesus has rebels he is still getting ready to redeem. Do not fear worldly opposition, but instead fix your eyes on the great reward of eternal life in his glorious heavenly kingdom. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank You that You prepare us. Jesus, those must have been really hard words for the disciples to hear. Those must have been hard words for the disciple John to record in his Gospel. But they are needed words. They are needed words to prepare us for the hatred of the world. We so desperately want to be liked. We so desperately want to avoid controversy and opposition. Lord, may we more than any of those things desire to be faithful to You and rely on Your strengthening grace in the Holy Spirit. God, in our own strength, we can do nothing. In our own strength, we will fail and falter in so many ways. So strengthen us. Help us by the Spirit to remain strong testifying to the truth, the glorious truth that Jesus Christ saves sinners like us. In His name we pray. Amen.